In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Good morning, Trinity Cathedral. Great to be back here with you. It's been a a long time since I've been in this building, like almost three years, but it's great to be back and uh, see so many familiar faces and so many new faces, which is great. Well, not many of us will make it to our 100th birthday, although this cathedral has actually produced a number of exceptions to that. But if you do live that long, you are likely to get a letter from the governor or at least your name in the paper, and you will likely be the honored guest at a big party where you will be surrounded by your descendants. And somebody will certainly ask you, what is the secret of your longevity? Well, not long ago, I put that question to a centenarian member of one of our own Arizona Episcopal congregations, and her answer was, never go to bed angry and have a big glass of gin every day. (laughs) Well, today we celebrate the 100th, or actually the 102nd birthday in COVID time of Trinity Cathedral. And I'm very honored that the bishop and the dean have asked me to be with you to reflect on the meaning of this important centennial. Most people don't live to be a hundred, and most churches don't live to be a hundred. But this one did. What's your secret? To answer this, I'd like to start with a personal question and then apply that same question to the cathedral. What were the defining decisions of your life? What were the choices that you made that shaped you into the person that you are today? Now, those could be good decisions, or sometimes they could be bad decisions. The good decisions might have to do with what career path you picked, the place you chose to live, the person you picked to spend your life with. The bad decisions might have had to do with what career path you picked, where you chose to live, and the person you elected to spend your life with. But in any event, such changes were life-changing. They determined your success, your happiness, your satisfaction. The very fact that you are a Christian means you made at least one such defining decision when you were baptized or confirmed or when you joined a church. Such choices shape your identity. Or as Homer Simpson would say, donuts made me the man I am today. But seriously, such defining decisions are for us and for an institution, the moments when our essential character is born. That's why it's so important to look back and to celebrate those moments. And I'd like to suggest that in the history of this congregation, there were at least four such times when a critical decision determined the soul 
of this place. The first was the decision to actually locate the building here on Roosevelt Street. Many of you already know that in 1915, the then rector and later Bishop Julius Atwood elected to move Trinity Church from, on, from Washington Street, way downtown, up to this location, which at the time was the very last stop on the Second Avenue trolley. And people thought he was nuts. Who would go all that way to go to church, people ask. But he was convinced that Phoenix was moving north. This new state capital was booming, and homes and businesses were making their way up Central Avenue. And so picking this location was a statement loud and clear that Trinity was moving with the city, both demographically and culturally. In the years following, Trinity became one of the largest congregations in the city, offering spiritual and cultural programs that were unparalleled. For example, I am old enough to have attended here in this place over 50 years ago a concert of sacred music written and performed by the great Duke Ellington. He sat on the piano right down there, not too far away from you, Eric, so get inspired. <laughs> this was the kind of cutting-edge stuff that Trinity was known for. This building was a dramatic witness that from then on, the fortunes of Episcopalians and the city of Phoenix would be forever tightly bound. And that marriage between church and state was also for better and for worse. By the late 1960s, there was a serious decline in downtown prosperity as white people fled to the suburbs. Downtown churches closed. Dio House relocated to Scottsdale. Roosevelt Row became the venue for prostitution and crack houses. Many suggested that Trinity ought to follow suit and sell this building and move out of the city. But the then Bishop Joseph Heaston said, no, Trinity is committed to downtown, and in downtown, Trinity will stay. And slowly the process of rebuilding began. As the downtown began to recover, so did the cathedral, strengthened by growing music and arts programs, and by a conscious embrace of the growing urban LGBTQ community. It was another defining moment. And then came another, when on October the 14th, 2002, fire nearly destroyed this building. Dean McLean vowed at the outdoor service the next morning held outside that from the ashes, Trinity would rise. And you did. And in that defining moment, you learned that you were more than just a building or a congregation. You were a community of faith, 
the kind of community described in the epistle for this morning. You were stones that were built into a spiritual house, not dependent on a physical building, but on one another and on God. And for years when I was bishop, I was reminded of that fact. Every time I worshiped here with you in those early years after the fire, remember this, you could smell the smoke. You could still smell the smoke in this building. As the spirituality of this congregation deepened, it also was able to identify more and more with the marginalized and forgotten. One defining moment that I will never forget came in 2010 when at 6 a.m. on a May morning, hundreds of people, mostly Hispanic, gathered in this building to pray before a march on the Capitol protesting Proposition 1070, an unjust and unconstitutional bill directed against undocumented people. I remember that morning learning to write my phone number in marker on my arm in case I got arrested and could make a phone call. But even more than that, I remember that morning seeing your commitment, being so proud of you, your commitment to Jesus' commandment to stand with the poor and the oppressed was never more clearly demonstrated than on that day. Now, I'm sure that we could continue with this list of historical defining moments, but that would keep us in a backward-looking mode. A successful anniversary is not just a time for nostalgic reminiscing. It's also an opportunity to look forward to see how the defining moments of the past can, in turn, determine the course of the future. A few months ago, I had the chance to read a very interesting little book by Susan Beaumont called How to Lead When You Don't Know Where You're Going. Miss Beaumont is a church consultant who works with parishes who are facing conflict and change, and she guides them through that process. But of course, as she admits, all churches, all churches right now are in a state of crisis, in a state of high anxiety about their future. She calls this living in a liminal state. She says it's like, be, it's, it's like that time when you let go of one trapeze rung with the faith that a new trapeze rung is going, to, is going to be there, but in the meantime, there's actually nothing to hold on to. Right now, it's unclear whether we will survive in a world where World War III seems a real possibility, where political division between right and left make cooperative lawmaking nearly impossible, where environmental destruction and global warming threaten everyone's economic well-being, and yet another variant of COVID is lurking in the wings. And what's going to happen to the church in all of this? No one really knows if COVID will hasten our already steep decline, or if cultural pre pressures will make us more and more irrelevant. Just this past week, a new study came out warning that since the average age of Episcopalians is 69, 
that in another 20 years, if things don't change, this denomination will be dead. Will we change or will we die? If we're going to change, Beaumont says, we will need to be clear about our core values, our institutional DNA. And to do that, we will need to embrace those defining moments of the past that I was talking about. One way that she suggests churches can do this is to make a big timeline and put up in the parish hall and You guys have already done that. It's right here in the sanctuary this morning. Another suggestion she has is that you have a a cornerstone where you put objects from the present to to be opened in the past. You already did that. My good friend and your former uh, canon to the ordinary here in Arizona, Chuck Robertson, likes to use a similar device borrowed from the Native American tradition of making what he calls a a tribal sacred bundle into which are placed important objects that remind the community of their past and their identity, and that this bundle is then carried around with them wherever the tribe goes to remind them of their their essential identity. Well, you can understand why, as a historian, I like the approach of remembering and celebrating defining moments. But again, doing so is not about reminiscing. It's not about talking about the good old days and wishing that we could return to some golden age which probably never existed in the first place. Remembering our defining historical moments is rather an opportunity to reach down deep to our core values, those things that have sustained us in the past, to get in touch with that inner strength. It's a way of proclaiming, look, we met challenges in the past, and we have the strength to do that in the future. We may have many challenges, and we may make many mistakes, But we here at the cathedral, you here at the cathedral, you do some things really well. Build on those strengths. Build on those strengths for the future. I was reminded of this a few days ago when I saw an interview with Olena Zelensky, who is the wife of the Ukrainian leader Vladimir Zelensky, She said that the uncertainty of this war that they're involved in, she said, it hasn't changed my husband. It simply revealed his character. He's always been a man you can rely on, and he'll never fail, and he'll hold out to the end no matter what happens. That's his essential character. As Christians, we are given such gifts of character by God, and we're brought together as a people through our baptism, through the celebration of the sacrament, our fellowship and support of one another, and our prayerful connection to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And together we tend to the soul, to the soul of this institution, We look towards the past to relearn that we come from God, we are with God, and we are going to God. Times of transition are always scary, sometimes even terrifying, both for individuals and for institutions. 
The uncertainty of not knowing the future is one of the worst feelings that we can experience. That's why many people run away from the future, or they they try to turn back the clock. But there's a better way, and that is to again discover and proclaim the strength that comes from your rich past, the core values that make you the people of God in downtown Phoenix. I think it's now easy to see what those core values are for Trinity Cathedral. We've talked about them. Number one, your close identity with the future of a great city as evidenced by your decision where to place this building 100 years ago. Number two, your refusal to abandon the people of downtown even when economic times turn bad. Number three, your rediscovery of yourselves as a spiritual community, even when a fire denied you the use of a gathering place. Number four, your advocacy and support of the most forgotten and exploited members of our society in the face of racism and discrimination. Those are some pretty great core values, people. And they are all the products of your history and of the choices that were made by you and your spiritual ancestors. Choices that were made courageously and faithfully. These are the secret of your success. And these core values will be the key to your future. So, my friends at Trinity, the future is scary, but don't be afraid. You have faced tremendous challenges in the past, and you will face them again in the future. And you will do so with faith in God and in each other. As a line from our closing hymn for today sums up, through the church, the song goes on. Through the church, the song goes on. And what is that song? Jesus Christ yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And you, people of Trinity, you will rise to sing that song. You will rise.